flight. Oh, this is a lovely airport. So Look how great. No, it's so shiny. I'm just going to follow that. It's, everything's glass. I'm just going to shuffle over there. Oh, yeah, and, you yeah. know, oh like something else shiny. Group four. Group four. Over uh, here. Hello. Group four. Hello. Group four. Hello. Hello. Nobody's oh, speaking English over here. Bonjour, Really, I put it really put some stank on that one. I put some you English did. on that <laughs> on that particular French term. Greg did uh, French in high school. I did Spanish. I didn't just do French, Don. I devoured French. Oh yes, you did. Uh, look at you. Just listen yes, to that. Thick I haven't yes. Greg. I haven't spoken it in. Greg is pure Pepe eight years. <laughs> Hey, I can't speak a word of Spanish, so what good did, what good did I do in high school? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. We start every episode that way. Yes, I show off my, my French skills, my French bona fides. <laughs> Basically, we play characters wandering around an airport. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, to give the game away, this week's film was the 1967 film Playtime. start off by apologizing to you <laughs> okay because this was my pick this was my i i drove <laughs> i drove us to watching this film i wanted to see this too okay because i i had slowly started i'd never heard of the name jacques tati before okay i'm surprised by that because he he does have this grand reputation of being the the french charlie chaplin okay and making uh, a lot of beloved films charlie chaplin i think a fair comparison is mr bean oh <laughs> Not to say Mr. Bean is bad, but I mean, we'll we'll get to yeah, we'll get to Monsieur Hulot. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more physicality to uh, yeah. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, or affection yeah. too. That's <laughs> true. So yeah, I didn't even I I went in completely cold. Mm-hmm. I did not know that this is based on like a famous character, quote unquote, that he does, and like a like a famous series of films that he does. But actually watching it, I kind of understood. It's like, oh, okay, this is a bit, and this mm-hmm. is probably like he's probably. This is like the feature-length version of that. Like, I can see this working as a short. And he's probably done more shorts yeah. in this style. And I, I say that uh, kind of leading off. This movie's quite long. Very. Two hours. <laughs> no, it feels long, which is very different. <laughs> which, by so the way, I, I, always, I always want to comment on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the term, calling a film long or short are just synonyms for good or bad. <laughs> that is In true. my mind. Okay. Yeah. Nobody ever says, like, you know, for sake, sake of example, I'll just say, like, Annie Hall is only 86 minutes long, and nobody says, oh, it's too long. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> no. But yeah, also, the just the reputation of this film, which I, just pouring in a little more research, it's it's got an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. Mm-hmm. It's in Sight and Sound's top 50 movies of all time. It's in uh, Roger Ebert's The Great Movies. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea. Yeah, I, I kind of I was aware of Jack Tati. I didn't know this this particular film was his was his uh, magnum opus. Yeah, and uh, kind of hard to see why. <laughs> well, so yeah, this is the first time you and I experience this film. <laughs> it is an experience. It is an experience. It is more of a museum piece than a movie, isn't it? 
yeah it's more of an art piece it's really about the production design it's about the set design it's about the costumes everything aesthetically about this movie is a 10 out of 10 yes now the problem is that's all it is (laughs) yeah and but other than that like story-wise like well it's weird because it's like you can compare it to a silent film because you can watch it on mute and basically understand everything that's going on. Yeah. Because the only dialogue in the movie is just banal banter. It's just, it's nothing. <laughs> badly dubbed Yeah, banter. badly dubbed banter. <laughs> Which makes you think, like, they poured they poured so much effort into the sets. It, this movie took about three years, had a, about a three-year production time, <laughs> and put so much effort into these sets, they literally called it Tativille. Yeah. they built an entire city for this movie. And I just want, like, how about, how about we put a little more effort into the story <laughs> and characters? How about that? Yeah, they built these huge, elaborate sets with, like, working elevators. And for the purpose of just little comic asides where he like accidentally takes the wrong door or bumps into a lady you know it's... yeah or can't find the guy he's looking for <laughs> yeah i mean don't get me wrong all those are like amusing but is it like high... <laughs> mildly amusing <laughs> yeah but is it like high art not really yeah so you you mentioned the look mm-hmm and I can I can see what it's it's kind of trying to convey a, maybe a, a dissatisfaction or a worry about the modern world. Exactly how it's kind of dissociating us mm-hmm. from interpersonal connection and making everything quite bland and gray and ununique. Yeah, conformity that, I think is the kind of big villain of this piece. <laughs> yeah, but there's so much more interesting or kind of creative ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Again, they devoted they devoted that entire message to just the look. Mm-hmm. And two hours, yeah. and I wish there was more to it. And it also doesn't feel too much like satire. No, you you do get that sense that it's like, oh, he's commenting on quote unquote modern life or what was modern life back in the '60s. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't really come off as like a huge criticism of that. It's more of like playing up the absurdity of it. No, you know, we get that we get that moment when uh, uh, what's okay. So what's this famous character that Jack Tati plays? Um, Monsieur Hulot. I was going to ask I ask you to pronounce it because I would pronounce it a lot. Because the French just love not pronouncing all their letters. We get that scene where he enters the business office to, you know, talk to the person he's yeah. supposed to be talking to. This is about 30 minutes into our, to our Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, he gets, he opens up the little, like, intercom panel and, you know, it's just beep. But it's like this, it looks like it belongs in the Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. And, you know, he presses it and it, like, makes all these Atari-sounding noises. And it's just like, oh, he, he finally gets who he needs to. So it's, it, you're, it, there's, a, there's a comment underneath all of this. Yeah. I think, I think but it's not very how we biting. introduce. Yeah. I think how we introduce Mr. Ulo is he comes up to somebody and they, like, can't hear each other. Mm-hmm. And then the camera pans out and you realize they're both behind, the, the, it's a pane of glass between them. Mm-hmm. And they have to go over to the door. There's a, there's that's a that's of... the first gag, <laughs> thirty minutes into our two-hour movie. So, if you can pick yourself up off the floor after that one, <laughs> it is very dry. Oh, so dry. <laughs> God, all I wanted, all I, I needed, some water. This is a, this is a, this movie is a desert. <laughs> I could say, yeah, it made it made me. I had a visceral reaction to it. That basically, this movie is just the look. See, I didn't hate it. I I I found myself bored. But I didn't hate it. Because, again, visually, it's it's very distinct. And it's very unique. So that's, again, like, for me, that's enough. Like, again, we, we talked about this on Naked Lunch. It's like, how much can a movie get by just based on aesthetics and tone and mm-hmm. mood? For me, 
if it's good enough, you can get by. Obviously, you're a screenwriter. Yeah. <laughs> like you like story, you like dialogue. So yeah. Well, not not necessarily dialogue. Mm-hmm. But what I want is a is a strong kind of purpose. Yeah, and this movie really doesn't. And have I feel any. like there's there's no driving force to the movie. Like I think the reason we're bored is because we don't care about Mr. Ulo or a group of about 20, uh, 20 you know, middle-aged women from Florida, or, or any of the other characters, or this restaurant opening. <laughs> like, again, I just didn't care. And it's, and it's only, it's, it, the only purpose of those scenes is literally to hang on a bunch of, uh, to hang on a bunch of gags and say a very mild, you know, kind of blasé statement about the modern world. Exactly. I mean, just to break it up into chunks. Mm-hmm. The first 20 minutes are devoted to an airport where nothing happens. No, there's not even a gag there. Yeah, there's no gags there. And then the next third is dedicated to these tourists and uh, Merlot talking, you know, walking around Mm -hmm. and getting into these comic little asides, going through an office park, going through a convention where they're trying to sell home goods and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then the last uh, third of the movie is... Oh, it's the last half. Yeah, it's like this restaurant opening. I guess the comment is like, oh, okay. This thing, yeah, this never aforementioned restaurant. Yeah, the French care about cuisine. So obviously, if they weren't paying attention before, now they'll pay attention because now they care. Yeah, it's like a restaurant and... Again, like, the character, quote-unquote characters that we're supposed to be following don't even, like, appear for about a third of the movie. Mr. Harlow doesn't appear. The mm-hmm. tourists that we're supposed to kind of be invested in, or, like, you know, they're supposed to be, like, an audience surrogate. They're not around. They only kind of pop in and out. Mm. I, it's Yeah, it's just... I, I mean, I kind of get it because, again, they're trying to, like, play up the absurdity. I guess. So, well, you said you said the... That's interesting. So you thought the group of American tourists, mm-hmm. which again are middle-aged women from Florida, very chatty. Yeah, they dress, definitely dress very loudly compared to their their yeah. drab black, white, and gray environs. They definitely stand out in this environment because yeah. again they're wearing floral patterns and they're very loud. And they're like, oh look at this! Oh look at that! I love that this movie has subtitles. Like it even matters <laughs> what anyone's saying. That's what I thought. I thought it would be silent. I was actually surprised to hear like actual dialogue. <laughs> I mean, dialogue very loose. Because yeah. again, I think mm. everyone improvised. Like yeah. there was no point. <laughs> well, did you think? Did you think like they were they were supposed to be our our kind of chorus, our 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 guides into this movie? I think so. I think the movie is kind of on their side, because again, like they're a welcoming warm presence in a very cold world. No, they're not. Yes, I think they they're are. supposed to be ugly Americans. No, I think I think it's supposed to be. to be that stereotype. And I think that's no. a Is this the first gag in the movie is when they get on the bus. They could, they won't listen to their tour guide. They keep getting distracted and following shiny things. <laughs> and then they get off the bus in the middle of traffic, I think because they see Paris and an arrow written or painted onto the street. Is Maybe? that what that scene was? It's really hard to tell what was supposed to be a joke and what wasn't. <laughs> yeah, which is great for a comedy. <laughs> I mean, maybe the here's the other problem. Maybe it's just this is a movie that rewards more viewings because again, it's so dry. You, I can understand people missing a That's lot. That's a horrible reward, by the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sitting through this two hours again. <laughs> well, there are there are a lot of fun little details. I think it does get a, a few details really right. Uh, one of the things I love, uh, one of the few little visual jokes mm-hmm. is tr- they enter through a travel agency and so there are these posters for all these places you can visit mm-hmm. but the poster is all the same gray building 
just with the little with the background slightly changed. So it's like mm-hmm. visit Hawaii, gray building with a palm tree. Visit London, gray building with like a tiny little Big Ben in the corner. Yeah, or a phone, <laughs> you know, a phone. Yeah, red phone booth or something. <laughs> exactly. Barbara, come here. Let's see the sights. What the book says? That should be. Let me see. The Alexandre Trois. I'm sure it is. That'll be a good picture. Okay? Let's go. What I kind of appreciate about this movie is I don't think it it elevates any nationality or p- person above anybody else. Mm. Because, again, he, what he's commenting on is, like, modern life. And it's integrating everywhere. in not just France, but all of Europe, all of America, everywhere. And so I don't think he's making a comment just like, oh, see how sophisticated the French are. Look how boorish Americans are. I think he's just th- No, I think comment. he is. You think he is? Yes, I think he is. Like, not only in the ugly American tourists, mm. but also in uh, at the convention, mm-hmm. at the trade show for all the home goods, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Hulot gets mistaken for a thief, and the two salesmen are German. Yeah. And one of them, one of them reacts very negatively. Mm-hmm. And again, it, I think it calls to mind the very intense, you know, German, you know, <laughs> throwing the, yeah, obviously no humor, no humor at all in the situation or something like that. That's, mm. that's what it called to my mind is playing off that German stereotype. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, fair enough. Do, doesn't he run into him again at the restaurant, though? I can't remember. <laughs> I think he... Again, that, that scene is such... That that whole scene, it's not even... Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's It's a all, third of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that whole act is just utter nonsense. I couldn't keep track of anything. Yeah. Ugh. And it's also the most contrived. That's true. Yeah. So the the final act of the movie, I guess we might as well talk about it, is... Well, no, I, I was going to... Let's get to the the kind of highlight of the movie, or at least all the clips and... Okay, yes. The, all the, the highlight saw, of the movie. Which is Mr. Ulo trying to meet somebody, like a business associate in a building. Exactly. Vignette number two. Mm-hmm. First, is, first we're in a very boring airport terminal, but here is where the movie picks up. Mm-hmm. And we're Again, it's dedicated start... solely to yeah, showing off like uh, building gags around the absurdity and technology of the modern world. Exactly. And people missing each other. And this is where we actually get the gags. Like, we actually start getting gags. <laughs> yes. uh, because Mr. Arlo, you know, enters, you get the little intercom thing, and the movie does some kind of interesting things with sound. Yes. Um, it's a mostly silent film, especially when they're indoors. Like, everything's kind of soundproof, so you can't hear anything that's going on, so all you hear is, like, the squeaks and squawks of people's feet. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one fun little thing at the airport. All you hear is, like, the little flickering of someone's ticket on their bag, like, oh, as he walks by, I thought that my was my sides. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Check that attitude at the door, Mister. Okay. <laughs> sorry, I just. <laughs> sorry, it's built as a comedy. <laughs> it's a sophisticated. I know. Comedy, yeah, Greg. you don't okay. you don't build a drama, and it's just people sitting there. You know, there's more to comedy than just laughing, Greg. Okay, <laughs> it's always there. Mm-hmm. Not I. I checked the dictionary. <laughs> I think you're wrong. <laughs> I watched this movie with a nice Shibley, and I thought to myself, hmm. <laughs> that was humorous. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to the scene, because he's meeting somebody. We don't we don't know the purpose of this meeting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, although given... there are good gags, wherein um, 
like he's he's trying he's trying to look for the guy and there's actually there's actually an array of cubicles. Mm-hmm. If we can give this movie some credit, it actually it actually uh, kind of predated <laughs> the the uh, the perfunctory office layout of cubicles. Mm-hmm. Again, perfunctory in the 1960s. So the fact that this movie kind of predicted that is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. But there's gags. He's looking for the guy. He can't he can't quite find them. They go through yeah. the same kind of doors um, in the cubicle. Mm-hmm. And they I, keep missing each other. And I guess that's that's fun. I guess. <laughs> You know, again, everything's made of glass in this part of Paris, so there's a mm-hmm. lot of gags involving glass, like you mm-hmm. know, like trying to run into each other, or, like go through the maze and try to fi- find each other. There's like, you know, just kind of like simple office gags, which again, like maybe seeing it at the like at, at the time when it came out, that would have seemed hilarious. But I mean, yeah. this is just the normal world we live in now. So <laughs> yeah, uh, there's one moment where someone calls someone in another cubicle, says like, "Can you get me these numbers?" And he's like, "Sure." He gets out of his cubicle, walks to a five cabinet which is next to the other cubicle who just called him literally yes. looks up those numbers walks back calls him again is like oh the number was this you know mm-hmm. <laughs> he's literally like right there yeah you laugh at how inefficient it is exactly inefficient yeah. you know bureaucratic mm-hmm. but again it's like is it very biting not especially not very biting and here's here's the thing if you find those amusing fine mm-hmm. but here's the thought that was running through my head mm-hmm Will the characters I know nothing about meet for reasons that I'm not made aware of? <laughs> like, there's nothing to kind of draw me in. There's nothing to invest me. Yeah. Like, again, like it's just the gags. Mm-hmm. But you need something. It's just surface-level gags. Exactly. Or, and maybe not surface-level, but, like, again, you can laugh at the modern world. But I need an emotional investment, too. Mm. You can kind of you can kind of grip me with the intellectual quality of it. Mm. But you got to invest me emotionally as well, and this movie doesn't do that no, at all. Absolutely not. It does. How French of <laughs> it? <laughs> it does. One of the tourists, one of the American tourists, we see. Mm. It does play with the idea that maybe her and Erlo will maybe kindle a relationship. Yes. She's kind of seen as an outsider. She's a little more invested in the culture. She's not so distracted by the shiny objects and the consumerism that everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a re- recurring gag where she's like trying to get a picture of a flower stand. Yeah, that again, one I didn't. Yeah, and that one's not understand. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's the kind of the the mise en scène is that people won't stop to acknowledge her photograph or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it has to be perfect. Like she's a. <laughs> They keep playing around with this idea that they're going to, like, bump into each other and they're going to, like, maybe kindle something. And he does eventually buy her a gift. But then she just kind of takes off, and that's the end of that. So, yeah. yeah. I'll, uh, should I get to this now? Get to whatever you want, Greg. Okay? There's no, there's no hard or fast rules with podcasting. You're right. We'll, we'll, we'll just wrap up this woman's story arc, mm-hmm. if you can call it that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's kind of the final shot of the, the movie. She, um, she receives a gift from Mr. Rouleau. Mm-hmm. But she still gets on a bus and goes to the airport and leaves. Mm-hmm. And it's the only shot that really absorbed me. And it's because it's a close-up. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He does a lot of wides. He does a lot of wides. And I think I read in the IMDb trivia that Jacques Tati hated close-ups. Now, that is like a construction worker saying they hate power tools. <laughs> that is the most insane thing. Close-ups are the most powerful tools you have in filmmaking. And Jack Tati avoids them like a plague. And I want, if he were were he alive today, I would strangle him and oh, rip him by his coat, rip oh, him by his stupid raincoat, <laughs> knock his hat off and saying, are you nuts? Greg, what is the old adage? Tragedy is a close-up. Comedy is a wide shot. 
And so that's what he's trying to do. Again, it's all about these. Set oh, pieces. oh, sorry, all... I forgot. I forgot about that. That that, that commandment. That's the eleventh <laughs> commandment. I forgot that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a good policy to go by. Especially so exactly. If, so no drama at all. Like again, we just don't care. We're just yeah. Let it's this, a lark. It's we're a just going to let this two-hour lark. Two-hour lark. <laughs> it's all about absurdity, Greg. It's absurd. And again, at the end of the day, what does it all matter? <laughs> just another distraction on our way to the grave. <laughs> right. Yep. Thank you. You're becoming more French too. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm wearing my beret right now. Mm-hmm. I'm checking out drag on my jazz cigarette. <laughs> Um, speaking of absurd, we should probably get back to the. We should probably get to the final act of the film. Yes. Or the final half of the f- movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should probably explain that uh, Mr. Rulo and his guy do meet uh, at night. <laughs> on the sidewalk. Yeah, just on As the sidewalk. As he's walking and, his dog. Yeah, they just walk away. You know, we're not made <laughs> aware of what the hell they were talking about or what their connection is. It's fine. Yeah. Wait, uh, before we talk about that, do we want to talk about the scene where he he also keeps running into army buddies for some reason? Yeah. I can't think of the point of that other than they just need about- an ex- yeah need an excuse for him to know these people and for him to kind of drag a big thing in this movie is people get dragged along places yes or they can't quite connect so yeah the first time he meets an old army buddy is actually they're they're across the street or something like that and he gets carried away by traffic mm-hmm. and they don't actually get to meet and, or talk in person they don't get that tête-à-tête mm-hmm. and the other idea is the fact that. Uh, these tourists, you know, they're obviously led around by the nose by a tour guide who separates them into groups. Sorry, right, group A, go over here. Group B, get mm-hmm. on this bus, go, go there. Yeah. And again, it kind of makes sense because Arlo is always getting lost. He's always getting pushed somewhere. Turned around. Along. Yeah. yeah. So, and I guess the army's good enough excuse of any on why they would recognize him, I guess. <laughs> Again, this movie is such a lark. Like, to talk of the fact that they were both in the army just kind of seems silly. <laughs> yeah. Like, is Arlo secretly suffering from PTSD? <laughs> like, it could have went in a much darker direction. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it was established in those old movies. Okay. Where Mr. Arlo premier, er, was in. Mm. That preceded playtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he runs into, like, at least three different people who recognize him from the army. And they're like, come, come, grab a drink with me. Come. And yes. Then, well, I think that's why, that's also why I think Mr. Tetsi cared about this story beat for some reason. Mm. We need a reason, or at least we need justification for Mr. Rouleau to come into this restaurant on its opening night. I was, t- I wanted to talk about the apartment complex first. Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, he runs into an army buddy. He asks, he invites him in for some scotch and we get this long, silent tableau with this apartment complex and they're all watching television and... <laughs> Yeah, can you explain to me what the purpose or joke was here? Because I it just completely flew over my head. <laughs> yeah, I think the joke is the fact that, again, these are all very modern apartment complexes. They all have mm-hmm. the same furniture, and they're all spending their time watching TV. And all the TVs are on the adjoining walls. So from the perspective that the camera's at, as these people are all watching TVs, they're all it looks like they're looking at each other. Yes. But they're all separated, and they're all sequestered into their little boxes. Yeah. And maybe the idea is like, oh, they're all just meant to be, they all look like they're in cages, they're all trapped, they're not connecting. But, I mean, again, he just invited Arlo out of nowhere to invite him up for a drink, so it's yeah. like... <laughs> well, also, there's no curtains either, so they, they look like they're living in a storefront window. Exactly. And yeah. their lives are on display, so maybe mm-hmm. that's that's the comment on the modern world? Yeah, exactly. Again, predating social media, so maybe, <laughs> maybe, the, maybe this movie predicted that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, again, nothing about this apartment scene is overly comedic. Uh, the only kind of real gag is that when Arlo's leaving, he 
can't figure the way out. Mm-hmm. He needs to click like the right button to like leave the apartment complex. So he just like kind of sits there and waits till like someone like sees him. Mm-hmm. I, I just yeah. Yeah, my stomach was hurting after that one too. Oh gosh. kind of dark touches mm-hmm. I I kind of in my head you mentioned PTSD earlier yeah in my head I thought after Mr. Monsieur Hulot leaves <laughs> I thought the guy because he's kind of he's kind of a very gregarious but also kind of an intense guy like he mm-hmm. really gets into Mr. Hulot's face with his generosity <laughs> I thought he was actually going to start beating his wife and daughter on full oh, display of the sidewalk Greg how dare you Greg <laughs> Again, a much darker, darker, more biting movie would probably do that. <laughs> I mean, that would really perk me up if this if that movie took like a wild tonal shift like that. I yeah, mean, that would be <laughs> exactly wake you up. <laughs> yeah, better than a pot of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get this final big piece where yes, we're finally we're finally here. <laughs> where what the whole movie's been building up to? Yeah, a restaurant is opening and they're literally finishing construction like ten minutes before it opens. Yeah. By the way, there's no mention of this in the first 50 minutes. Like we're just here. Exactly. We're just we're just plopped down in the middle of a of a restaurant that's still under construction, but is supposed to open tonight. Mm-hmm. And our characters do show up eventually, mm-hmm. but not for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. By our characters, we mean Monsieur Hulot uh-huh. and the, the group of American tourists, mm-hmm. and the the woman in green. I think her name is her character's name is supposed to be like Barbara or something. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, just whatever. Like, who cares? Looking up the cast <laughs> list is just—it's—it's it's a pointless exercise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, they literally have just finished construction. The architect is like still there, mm-hmm. and people are starting to come in. And we get like little gags, like oh, a tile comes up on you know stuck to someone's foot, or because the chairs are kind of like pointily designed, the waiters keep ripping their clothes. They look like yeah, they look like crowns. So. Mm-hmm. You see the indentation of that pattern yeah. in people's, in mm-hmm. the men's jackets when they sit down, or when they get up for, to dance. There's like a huge pillar near the front entrance, and people keep bumping into it, or the uh, maitre d' keeps like hitting his arm against it or something like that. There's some molding over the bar that the bartender like can't get around. Exactly. And, I mean, I will give the film credit, at least it's giving us like a unified space to play with. Again, this is playtime, <laughs> that's fun. But it's like, to what end, you know? Yeah. You know what's worse? You know what it is? It's like <laughs> terrible grown-up playtime. <laughs> again, I think it's trying to, I think it's trying to, it's working on a lot of intellectual levels. Mm-hmm. But again, I just, it just passes over my mind and just, I don't care. Mm, again, yeah. it's, it, it needs some EQ. It needs some emotional intelligence. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's why this scene... And also, again, it's the last half of the movie. It drags on forever. Exactly. And again, it's like 20 minutes until Mr. Erlo or the tourists show up. And then it's like, oh, okay, this is the connection, I guess. Yeah. Because, again, up to this point, it's like, why are we watching this? I get it. It's like, yeah, the place is poorly constructed. (laughs) Well, they introduce another main character in a rich Texan. Yeah, he's Mr. American, the one... uh, Yeah. 
Mr. American. He's like, again, but I, I think the movie has Well, he just kind of barges in on opening night and then decides, like, I'm going to buy this place. <laughs> he's like, yeah, this and then is my table. Comes the life this of the party, party, sort of. Yeah. And I think the movie has real affection for him. I know what? you think this. I think, <laughs> Why are you getting this? I think <laughs> they're, the, they're French. They don't have affection for anything. <laughs> I think the movie's on his side, like the American tourists. No, because again, everyone's like trying to be prim and proper and just like stuck up and uptight, and he's just kind of like having a good time. And even when the ceiling freaking collapses, what does he do? <laughs> he turns into like that's the VIP area. Come on, come join me. Oh, you're allowed in. You're not like you know, <laughs> who can play piano? Let's go. It's a nice touch because again, this world is so sanitized, it's so well maintained and controlled that when a little chaos is introduced, he still rolls with it. And maybe okay. that's the whole point of this whole restaurant bit. Is the fact that, oh, yeah, see how quickly these things can kind of fall apart. So what do we do? We just have a good time, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Which is what they do. Again, and then str- they go what to... a strong statement this movie's making. Yeah, and then they go to the drugstore for more drinks and coffee and what? Okay, this drugstore offers everything. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they're European, you know. Okay. They let eight-year-olds buy wine <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> they don't care. Laissez-faire, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, sac me bleu. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, I guess if yeah, if there is any, it's following the scene, <laughs> this eternal scene. <laughs> we do get some emotional connection between Monsieur Lowe and the and the woman in the green dress, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of basically what we're what we're supposed to hang our hat on, I suppose. Yeah. But then she just leaves, and we see a bunch of cars going around <laughs> around a rotary, a roundabout, or whatever. Okay. Yeah. This actually made me the most angry because now all of a sudden. <laughs> Apropos of nothing, the mm-hmm. world becomes colorful. Yes. All the cars we've seen in the movie so far are just black and gray. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the cars become like green and red and purple and yeah. blue. And Throughout all... the movie there's no music. Now suddenly yeah. there's very whimsical music. And now it's like all of a sudden the world becomes a circus. Yeah. And, you know, like the cars are going up and down on their jacks and it's like, you know, bouncing up and down and there's kids everywhere and there's life. Why? <laughs> I guess it's Sunday. <laughs> it's like, did something change? Is it because Erlo and this lady had a connection, then all of a sudden, really, it's just about our perspective? Yeah, or maybe and they had a great they're... time that night before? I, just, I don't know. Are we just dumb? <laughs> I think I, that might be a possibility. Yes. You know what? <laughs> Playtime, you've bested us. <laughs> you've won. Congratulations. We're going to skulk home because we lost. Yeah. <laughs> We lost the playtime. Enjoy your victory, sight and sound. <laughs> Declaring this one of the 50 greatest movies of all time. Even though you're patently wrong.
loves those lists. You like definitive <laughs> rankings. I do. I'm a competitive person. <laughs> you can't rank art, Greg. Okay. I know. <laughs> no. Let's compare this to let's compare this to Jurassic World. Compare and contrast. <laughs> Chris Pat is just like Mr. Ulo. Kind of a man in over his head in the modern technological world. <laughs> I like to think the Indominus Rex is Mr. Ulo. <laughs> He's just gray and confused and just bumping into things that no yep, one knows mm-hmm. why. Eats people. <laughs> No, that movie I would love if Mr. Olo was revealed to be a cannibal. <laughs> Again, yeah, that's what we need. We need some bite to our movie. Yeah, we need some you know, some dark touches. That's what this movie needs. Because again, yeah. this is French. Come on, that's what the Europeans do. <laughs> yeah, well, they're Western Europeans, so they they live prosperous, happy lives. Okay, good point. Yeah, fair point. So yeah, if you're intellectually superior, maybe you'll enjoy it. Maybe you'll get more out of playtime than we did. Mm. Yeah, this movie's this movie's dreadful. <laughs> I vehemently hated it. Yeah. And maybe, okay, so the kind of other little tidbit I'm bringing in, and the only other f- maybe French film I can compare this to that I can that I kept coming to mind when I was thinking of this is Triplets of Belleville. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. We watched it together. <laughs> oh, we did? Okay. <laughs> if you remember, yeah. All right. Yeah. I think what's interesting about that movie is, again, it's kind of a take-no, that's a real take-no-prisoners kind of satire. Yeah, that one, they're genuinely ugly ugly Americans. They're, they're literally fat, ugly Americans. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I was going to be offended by that, but then I realized, oh, wait, how are, they, why are, how are they representing all the French people in this film? Oh, yeah, they're all constantly drinking wine, eating frogs yeah. with big noses and skinny legs. And, you know, <laughs> it's stereotyping everyone, really. Nah. And so that's why I think this movie really has affection for anybody, or at least has everyone's on equal footing. Okay. But, again, you know, as Americans... From that perspective, it's like, and assuming that the French hate us, yeah, which might be a fair assessment. <laughs> yeah, you're also trying to, you're trying to get affection for Playtime by comparing it to an animated movie released 30 years later. <laughs> I don't think that's a fair comparison. I don't know. I Even though they're both like, silent French comedies, virtually silent French comedies. Yeah, I was just trying to put my mind in, like, okay, this is European, this is French, this is how they do mm-hmm. things, this is their idea of comedy no the french know how to make movies john i'm not rich tapestry there's i'm not saying a french don't know how to make movies i'm just like Mm -hmm. culturally i'm trying to meet them there you know okay well i'm not (laughs) i'm an american tourist and won't bother (laughs) well why don't you recommend some french movies what french movies were you thinking of because i know you weren't focused on the actual plot so (laughs) (laughs) well there's there's where did your mind wander there's the work of robert besson oh have you heard have you heard of him no all of his movies are yeah, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> All of his movies are on the Criterion Collection. There's Pickpocket. There's a a movie called Oh Hazard Balthazar. It's about a donkey who gets passed between owner and owner. Um, again, a little a little bleak, I'd say. <laughs> okay. Probably probably follows your conception of a of a dowdy, miserable funeral dirge of a, of a European movie. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, but there's more there's more emotionally going on, okay. and that's how that's why you react to it. Gotcha. Or at least that's why they stand out in my mind. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And although, and I love the Dardan brothers, even though they're technically um, Belgian. <laughs> okay. Their films are in French, so I'm going to count it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all just Europe to me. Yeah. Isn't that the whole point of Eurovision? And uh, that's what the government's called, oh, right? God, Eurovision. Eurovision. <laughs> but it's, they what, use the, the Euro to celebrate Eurovision, and then Brexit happened, so they're not mm-hmm. part of Eurovision anymore. Right, because well, they that they were mad because they never win anyway. Oh well, yeah. I mean, the UK thinks they should win all the time. Of course, 
Because we win all the time in their terrible, terrible pop song competition. Don't they always win at soccer, a.k.a. football? No, again, they, they want to, they badly, desperately want to win, and they never do, and it's, and it's hilarious. Okay. <laughs> what about their car industry? Their car industry is second to none. Yeah, right? sure. It's, everybody wants Vauxhalls. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great when England desperately tries to be number one and just fails. Aww. I think there's a German word for it. Hmm. But again, it's all just Europe, Europe to me. I know. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> uh, well, enough of being ugly Americans, I say. Or ugly Greeks. <laughs> I think we should move on to a piece of spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Mm, let's, let's devour and savor this piece of spotlight. Mm, yes. Mm, mm, I'm going to eat it up like French fries. Yes. It's a like braise, a boorish yeah. American <laughs> French fries. <laughs> like a boorish American just shoveling it into my face. just like. I was, picturing, I was picturing Boeuf Bourguignon. <laughs> What's the difference between a croque madame and a croque monsieur? Uh, great question. <laughs> okay. You took French. You should know this. Yes, That's on the final, right? Yep. <laughs> Who is Julia Child? <laughs> so, for Spotlight this week, uh, I caught up on a quote-unquote older movie. I watched Gone Baby Gone. Well, I mean, older relatively to our modern sensibilities. It's, uh, yeah, it turns 10 this year. Yeah, like... Uh, it's the decade celebration of Gone Baby Gone. I'll, I'll try to put on a movie from, like, 1990, and Simon will be like, Oh, this is so old. <laughs> Simon being your companion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My partner. Uh, yes. Um, so... Yeah, I finally caught up on that. We were enjoying a glass of wine, and my friend was like, oh, let's put on this little fun romp. <laughs> gone Baby Gone. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did he or she have no idea what Gone Baby Gone was? No, she knew what Gone Baby Gone was. Okay. And yet, obviously, we were like, oh, Casey Affleck, he's a good actor. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> but it's just kind of like not really fitting the tone of what we were celebrating. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Got it. <laughs> and they both fell asleep, but I was enraptured. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, um, I'm not sure if this is technically Ben Affleck's directorial debut. So, technically, no. This is his first theatrical release. Okay. Because <laughs> he has directed other things before, but this is his first, like, thing that's, like, gone to screen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think one of them is called, like, the crazy mixed-up lesbian who became a zombie or something like that. I could <laughs> <Okay>. be wrong. <laughs> no, it's a Kevin Smith movie, Greg. You're thinking of Chasing Amy. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. But yes. Anyway, Gone Baby Gone. The ter- terrible, t- heart-ripping crime story. <laughs> yes. It stars Casey Affleck as a private detective, mm-hmm. and he's tasked with finding a girl who's been missing for four days. Turns out this missing girl's mother is a drug addict, played by Amy Ryan, who is perfect in this role, and she's mm. perfect in everything. <laughs> That's true. She was. I think she was nominated for an Oscar for this role, and it really, really helped her blow up and mm-hmm. got her more roles. Yeah, like Goosebumps. Hey, hang on. <laughs> she was also in Central Intelligence with The Rock and Kevin Hart. <laughs> she really elevates that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's got a stellar cast. It's got Casey Affleck, Morgan Freeman, Ed Harris, and mm-hmm. Michelle Moynihan's in there. So that's nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a solid crime movie. It's based on a Dennis Lehane novel. Mm-hmm. And generally, I like Dennis Lehane, except for some of the plotting towards the end, like, really kind of Yeah, there's a, it. maybe a few too many twists and turns. Yeah, so the, so the movie for me didn't quite stick the landing, but... Oh, okay, I thought it was yeah. great. And, uh, okay. I mean, it's hard to praise Casey Affleck, given all his uh, extracurricular activities outside of acting. Hang on. <laughs> Maybe it's just because I'm a sexist pig, but... <laughs> 
you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive him that. Again, I don't think I don't think it needs to be a permanent stain on anybody's record. Well, yeah, yeah not just, unless it reaches like Bill Cosby proportions. Yes, you have to separate the art from the artist. Unfortunately, yes. that's yeah. And we that's should, hard yeah, to we do. should probably we should probably explain for anyone who isn't aware. There was some controversy with Ben Affleck's nomination and win for Best Actor this past year for the movie Manchester by the Sea, um, because he settled out of court for some domestic abuse issue. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now people want to say, like, how can you honor this man who did such a thing when obviously it has no bearing on the quality of his work? Exactly. That, not, not saying it's not terrible, that domestic abuse isn't terrible. But <laughs> just let me qualify that. But And they settled our course, so it's over. Okay, guys? Come yeah. on. And just, justice was served? Question mark? <laughs> the system worked. I should say the system worked. Yeah. It does kind of play a little too far into cartoony Boston territory, but... You know what? Yeah. I'm a sucker for that, so mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah, don't they? Don't they? Don't they disparagingly mention our hometown? Yep, Fancy Pants Melrose. Yeah. <laughs> Born and bred. Oh fancy yeah, John, pants the, Melrose. the Fancy Pants. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought when I walked to school every day. Well, I mean, his next Boston-based film, The Town, was filmed in Fancy Pants Melrose, so obviously you can't hate it too much. No. Yeah. So th- yeah. So shut your fat face, Mr. Raffleck. <laughs> Fat He's fat a... face. Look who's talking. <laughs> Has he ever been nominated for a director? I know Argo won, but I don't think. No, he wasn't nominated for director. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he has won two Oscars: one for writing *Goodwill Hunting* and the other for producing *Argo*. Okay. He he does kind of have more of a workmanlike uh, style, so. Yeah, it's not it's not particularly flashy or mm-hmm. has like a strong I'd say like personal touch or something. Yeah. Or something really like unique that sets him apart. Mm-hmm. Not in say like the way that you know. He's directed, Ben Affleck's directed two crime dramas, not in the way that, you know, a Martin Scorsese crime drama, like, leaps out of the screen. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't use any Rolling Stones music, so. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's what he needs. Yep. But how can you pay the license fees these days? <laughs> Gosh, just die already. <laughs> no, John, it'll make it even more expensive. <laughs> oh, you're right. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> I don't know how copyright law works. <laughs> it becomes free after they die, right? That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, just wait eight decades. <laughs> What do you have for this week's spotlight, Greg? Well, I I want to spotlight a comedy special. Oh. Or what what Netflix is calling a comedy special. <laughs> yes, it's it's um, quite a bit longer than that. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a Broadway show that was filmed. There's no <laughs> intermission. If you have to pee, go right in your pants. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame Netflix doesn't have a pause function, huh, John? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> or were you so enraptured by what I'm about I to recommend? I was so invested. That- like yes. how could I how could I have paused and then come back? I would have forgotten all the callbacks. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, this is the show. It's called Oh Hello on Broadway, mm-hmm. and it's centered around two characters played by comedians Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, mm-hmm. two elder two elderly, uh, dirty depraved New Yorkers. <laughs> A lot of um, comedy, and obviously they. They've got the quickest impro- improvisational minds ever, <laughs> and so, yeah, they get they get to some hilarious antics. That's what I was impressed by, like, because mm-hmm. I know these guys are great improvisers and they're great sketch players, but you know, here this is a whole theatrical production. There's yeah, at one is. point it's... there's this big set piece, and you like go, "This looks expensive." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should say it's it's a parody of a Broadway play. Exactly. Yeah, they they first introduced it by. Um, them in front of the curtain 
and again, it looks like they're just doing their old man shtick. Mm-hmm. But then they reveal and call attention to all these tropes of famous plays, like, um, you know, <laughs> screaming at the audience. <laughs> yep. One-sided phone calls, things like that. Mm-hmm. Coughing into a handkerchief and then revealing there's blood. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, again, all come back later in the show. Mm-hmm. What really drew me in, because I, I was aware of these characters and the show before this Netflix special came out, so obviously I was chomping at the bit to see it. Because mm-hmm. Lord knows we couldn't afford to see it on Broadway. <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> Why I, why I really wanted to see it is because there's a there's a portion in the middle where they interview a celebrity mm-hmm. as the characters, and this is where their improv skills really kind of shine. Yes. <laughs> well, we won't spoil who the celebrity is, yeah, because obviously they're playing real moot with that, so we'll let you be surprised. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but actually, you can look on YouTube; they have little clips of all the celebrities that they've they got some really good gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're all hysterical, so. Just binge, binge watch those. Binge yep. watch one, and then binge watch one later. <laughs> I mean, and it kind of makes sense, because these two characters that they're doing are obviously very stereotypical New Yorkers, so it only makes sense that they would eventually expand this into satirizing Broadway, because that's a big part of New New York culture. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's maybe why it wouldn't work as a movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And also it needs uh, audience reaction and audience participation, because... <laughs> Like, because I've also seen the skits that involving these two characters, and yeah, it really loses something. Yeah, exactly. You really need to see it live. But at least, you know, mm-hmm. obviously... Or we'll see probably... it recorded live. Yeah, we'll never get to see it live, unfortunately. No. But <laughs> Well, they said, I, I'm thankful, they said they're never going to stop doing these characters. They're going to do them until they're their actual age. Oh, really? And awesome. they don't know what the joke is anymore. Yeah, Great. they don't know why it's funny anymore. Awesome. <laughs> yes. It's like Jiminy Glick. Yeah. <laughs> never give up, Martin Short. Nope. Speaking of which, they got him, too, on the show. Oh, they you did? You can watch that one on YouTube. Yep. Marvelous. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's a bounty of delights. Yes. But it's a, it's a hysterical show. Again, a great send-up of Broadway the- of theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the joke I was making earlier is that, you know, before the show starts, they're telling everyone, if, you ha- if your cell phone rings, take it. Take that take call. call. You never know who it could be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Make sure, and like little, again, like the metatextual element of the thing, like make sure you have some candy with you with a wrapper. <laughs> Try to open it quietly, which will only cause it to be louder. <laughs> I carry around Warlords Originals, the Amber Alert of candies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's, a, yeah, again, if, if you're into that sort of humor. <laughs> yes, it's very specific. I, I can see it's not for everybody. Yeah. At one point, they do call out the fact that there's a 14-year-old in the audience, yes, and he, he has to ask, He like, points out a 14-year-old and asks, did you enjoy any of this? <laughs> mm-hmm. But for snobs like us, it was an utter delight. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> for comedy, only for real comedy nerds. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's anti-comedy. <laughs> it's the jokes they're not telling. <laughs> yes, playtime is definitely about the jokes they're not telling. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. Playtime is definitely jazz. <laughs> It should be on a again. It should be on a loop in a museum. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Bringing it all back. Yep. It's an insulation piece. Mm-hmm. But Greg, how will people enjoy our art? How do we bring <laughs> our art to the people? We well first we do it through our voices, of course, and our natural rapport. <laughs> <laughs> Very. But natural. <laughs> but they can also do it on social media. <laughs> yes. That's where we also. That's also where we express ourselves. Yes, you can follow us on Twitter at Aspiring Snobs, mm-hmm. or you can like our Facebook page, the Aspiring Snobs Podcast page. Yes, we're also available on every podcast platform. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of them. 
Yes, and if you could, if you like the show, mm-hmm. again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna demand, I'm not gonna pry, <laughs> but if you could do us a favor, you know, give us a review, give us a like, give us a, you know, nice five star rating, we would really appreciate it. We'd be eternally mm-hmm. grateful. Yes, unless you don't, in your heart, can't give us five stars, and then don't bother. No, do bother. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I just, I just hope for the best. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, and if you care to join us for next week... Oh, that's right. I forgot. I keep forgetting. <laughs> yes. <that> now. <laughs> next week, we'll be watching American Beauty. Yes. The Academy Award winner mm-hmm. in the year 2000. <laughs> Featuring Frank Underwood as some <laughs> slub. That's a, sh- that's a shame that's what he's known for now. I know. It's kind of a pity. Yeah. Because, again, he's such of, a virtual... Instead of Lester Burnham or Kaiser Sose. Oh, spoiler alert for movies that are almost 30 years old. <laughs> I think it's really Kevin Spacey. I think he's very proud of that role, and so I think he, he likes him. I mean, because, again, if he was sick of it, he would obviously not do it as much as he does it. No, yeah, he wouldn't <laughs> drudge it up at the, at the Tony Awards. Exactly. <laughs> or during the Oscars one year. You know, that famous play featuring Frank Underwood. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I'm glad I'm in on the joke, because I haven't seen a minute of House of Cards. So, <laughs> Theater people don't have time for Netflix. They think streaming is beneath them. Yes. They've got $120 to spare (laughs) for mezzanine-level seats. (laughs) Sorry, balcony-level seats. What am I saying? (laughs) Well, until next time, and until next week, keep aspiring.